Welcome to the Conquering Everest podcast. This is episode 43. Welcome to the Concrete Nevers Podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Who am I? Well, my name is Brian Talor, and I am your host, as well as a certified holistic life coach with Everest Life Coaching. There's a link in the description below if you'd like to check it out. But before we get started with today's conversation, I want you to do me a big favor. If you don't mind, make sure you follow the podcast. All right. Make sure you follow it and then make sure you share it out on your social media profiles. Let everyone know that Conquering Everest, we're here. Let them know what we're doing. Let them know about the mission. I appreciate you. On today's show, I have a conversation with Michelle May. Michelle is a recovered yo-yo dieter. She struggled with her relationship with food and body image for nearly 25 years. And as a physician, she's seen many of her patients struggling with the same pattern. Michelle is the founder of MI Hungry, where she is putting out mindful eating programs and training for everyone. This is Michelle's story. All right, Michelle, welcome to the Conquering Evers podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Tell you what, as we get ready to get into this conversation uh, with you, and, and it's it's one I think is near and dear to my heart because, you know, I do struggle with diet and food and all that good stuff. So why don't we uh, tell the audience, um, take a moment, let the audience know who you are, and then we'll dive into your, into your backstory. Absolutely. Well, I... I interestingly, I'm actually a physician by training. I practiced family medicine for a long time before I realized that this was really my passion. So I no longer practice medicine, but I write books and I run a training program and I do keynote speaking, anything that will allow me to help people heal their relationship with food Mm. and uh, really create a whole new way of thinking about food. Okay. And how, so you said you, you were kind of a physician first, and then you transitioned into um, what you do today. What, what was your, have you, did you know from a young age that, that you were destined to be a physician or a coach or, I mean. Yeah. You know, I, I did know pretty early on that I wanted to do something professional and uh, my, my dad was in healthcare and kind of urged me in that direction. So I think ultimately I chose to go to medical school because I thought it would be hard and challenging. And at the time there weren't that many women physicians. And so that was kind of who I was as a person. As it turns out, I mean, there are probably a lot of career paths I could have taken. I just didn't have that open-mindedness about it. And so ultimately, I'm really glad I did because it gave me a really strong foundation for understanding more about the underlying reasons that people struggle and and some of the effects of their struggles. And so I think it was a great pathway, but ultimately, it's mindful eating that and vibrant living. I mean, that's really what I'm all about is helping people learn new skills for taking care of themselves. And was food um, 
your relationship with with food was that uh something that you know started uh, i guess where i'm going is did you have a uh uh, love-hate relationship with food that, that kind of led you down this <laughs> yes. path? Yes, I came to this work uh, really because of my own personal struggle. I, like many you know, young people, I struggled with body image and started yo-yo dieting at a fairly early age. Uh, some people make it through their teens without doing that and don't start yo-yo dieting until they're an adult. But boy, I got an early start I dieted all the way through school, even into medical school and even into my medical practice. And so for that whole time, even though everything else in my life was going pretty well, I really struggled with food and it was kind of my dirty little secret. So when I finally figured out what was going on and how to deal with it, I got really excited about teaching other people how to heal their relationship with food too. And eventually I decided I would leave my medical practice and do this work full time. And was there a specific moment in time? um, I like to call them the, you know, for me, I always refer to refer to these moments in my life as my coming to Jesus moments, but Mm -hmm. with your diet and your relationship for for food, what, what was like the, the, like final straw, you know, that, that said, you know what, I've, I've got to not only change myself, but I, you know, then I'm going to move on to, to help others. So for you was, what was that, that moment like? You know, for me, it was the sudden awareness that diets weren't working for me. And actually as a physician, I could see that they weren't working for other people long-term either. Mm -hmm. And for me, that awareness happened when my kids were really young because I had these two beautiful young creatures who had a healthy, uh, balanced, intuitive relationship with food. They weren't worrying about what they ate. They weren't restricting. They weren't measuring and weighing their food or looking things up on a, you know, on a, on a booklet, right? Now it would be an app. They just ate when they were hungry. They mostly stopped when they were full. They ate foods that they enjoyed. But most important, they used the energy that they had consumed to just live their lives. They played, they grew, they learned. And I realized that my relationship with food was very different. I was thinking about food all the time, whether I was eating food or trying not to eat food. I was looking things up all the time and worrying about it. I was planning meals way in advance. And then when I would eat something that was bad. And I'm using air quotes there because I no longer believe in bad foods. But at the time, if I ate something that was bad, then I'd feel like, well, I blew it. I might as well keep eating and I'll go back on my diet tomorrow. Exactly the opposite of what I was seeing in my children. And that was really a big aha for me. I just suddenly realized that I had moved so far from that natural instinctive relationship with food and I wanted it back. So when I finally figured it out for myself and realized this is much, much better, uh, that's when I decided to start teaching other people too. Yeah, I, I kind of chuckled there when you were you were saying that, you know, you'd tell yourself, well, I've already blown it. So, you know, uh, I, I am very guilty of that, especially late night um, eating. Guys, I start to wind down around mm-hmm. 9 p.m. 
and mm-hmm. and I'll listen to music or I'll watch the show on TV and and then ideally my mind's like you need something to snack on and then if yeah. I find myself going well I done blew it so what's another handful of this gonna you know right right well so so there's a few things if if it's okay to yeah. kind of um, unpack what you just said so first of all for a lot of people evening is a high risk time we're tired. We may be um, mentally tired from a long day. Maybe we're rewarding ourselves for getting through the day, or maybe you've been restricting throughout the day and then rewarding yourself from for not eating all the air quote bad foods you you avoided all day. Then we're also having that kind of letdown that ah oh, finally. So that time of day is very high risk for people. But the irony is oftentimes we're not actually hungry. We don't need fuel at that point. We're getting ready to go to bed. It doesn't really have to do with eating to meet our body's needs. It's much more of, a, of an emotional kind of thing. But the, the challenge with it is then we then eat in a mindless way, still watching TV or working or doing something else. And so the whole time we're eating, we're not even actually fully experiencing the food. So it's really hard to get the enjoyment that we were expecting. It's really hard to notice when our body feels satisfied. And so it compounds the whole problem. I don't think that we need to feel guilty about eating for any reason whatsoever. However, it's possible that when we eat like that, we might regret it. We might afterward go, you know, I really wish I hadn't done that. Now I'm trying to go to sleep and I feel full or I'm having heartburn or we wake up in the morning and we're not hungry or we're kind of sluggish or we ate the snacks that we had planned for the next day already. I mean, there's a lot of things we might regret, but there's no reason to feel guilty. If you want to eat at nine o'clock at night, choose it mindfully say, yep, I am going to eat for emotional reasons and then do it in a way that actually tastes good, feels good and pay attention to the effects. When we approach our eating from a more neutral place, we can actually learn from our mistakes instead of getting into that trap. Um, you, you talked about that. I've already blown it. I call this the eat, repent, repeat cycle. <laughs> you know, it's what a lot of us were doing. And, and that's really what I help people with. And as you were, um, you know, in, through your teen years and into college, as, as you were uh, into the, into the dieting, were you, because nowadays everybody's got an opinion, oh, I'll try keto, try this, try that. Were you uh, an individual like so many of us that kind of jumped on the next fad to see, mm-hmm. you know, if that was the yeah. answer? Yeah. I mean, I had my favorite diet that I went back to over and over again. It didn't occur to me until much later that aha moment that you were referring to that, oh my gosh, if I'd have had to go to medical school 17 times, somebody would have said, stop, this isn't working for you. (laughs) Yet I kept going back on diets over and over again. And nowadays we see a lot more options for that because of the internet. And so a lot of people go on one diet after the other, thinking that they are failing. They don't have enough willpower or they haven't found the right diet. The truth of the matter is that diets don't work long-term for the vast majority of people. 
they actually trigger deprivation, which triggers cravings, which triggers overeating or even binging. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people get in this cycle where they're trying one diet after the other and then blaming themselves when it doesn't work, despite the fact that there's no research that shows that diets work long-term. We know they don't. Most of us have tried many of them. And so I think that's one of the things people really need to do is start saying, you know, this, this is an approach. It's too flawed to fix. It's not about finding the next diet. It's about pulling back and saying, no, it's now time for me to start paying attention to why I eat in the first place and understand that why I'm eating affects the choices that I'm making and how much I'm eating. And if I can, if I can start with why, instead of what I'm eating, that perhaps that might be the answer to figuring out how to create a healthy relationship with food where you can, this is my book series name, eat what you love and love what you eat. Learning how to eat what you love and learning how to love what you eat opens the door to really coming back to a peaceful, joyful relationship with food. And would you, would you class or would you um, categorize programs like Nutrisystem? Is that where they send you the food, you're eating their food, but is that technically a diet? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. In fact, um, pretty much all the different forms of eating people think, well, it's something different. It's not, it's just a different form of restriction, whether mm -hmm. they're making the food, whether you're drinking your meals, whether you're eliminating an entire food group, whether you're having cheat days. I mean, there's so many varieties of restrictive eating. In fact, these days, it's even possible that you may not be restricting in order to lose weight, maybe just to be healthy. Here's how you'll know whether you're restricting. If the words ever come out of your mouth, I can't have, mm -hmm. or alternatively, <laughs> I'm not allowed to eat, fill in the blank, then you're, you're doing a restrictive eating plan. Now that doesn't mean that I eat everything. I have my own choices and preferences, but I know I can have whatever I want. And ultimately it's up to me to choose. That's really ultimately what we need to be moving toward in order to get out of that restrictive process that drives deprivation and cravings and overeating. And would you say that emotions, would that be kind of the leading reason that, you know, most overweight folks like continually go back to the same foods um, or, you know, kind of yo-yo? Is it, is it largely think, emotion driven? Uh, I think, I think there's a lot of reasons that people eat when they're not hungry. So I, I divide them into three big categories. One is environmental. I mean, the truth is we live in an abundant food environment. We're constantly being exposed to advertising, uh, restaurants and fast food everywhere we go. You know, there's food laying out in the break room at work. And of course, during COVID, it was right there just down the hall for most of us. And so, so environmental triggers, things like the time of day or seeing other people eat or, or associations between, uh, let's say, going to a ball game or watching something on TV and eating. So that's one category. 
Another category is physical triggers. Like you mentioned earlier, being tired, or I mentioned earlier regarding the, the late night eating, being tired or being thirsty is sometimes confused with being hungry. And then the big category is emotional eating. But we have to be careful about that because it's important to understand that emotional connections to food are totally normal. Like all of us were, were fed and held as infants. I mean, we very early learned to associate eating with comfort and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we celebrate holidays and birthdays and special occasions and we take food to a new neighbor or we mourn the loss of somebody by eating together. It, it's totally normal to have emotional connections to food. Where it creates a problem is when we're ignoring our emotional needs and trying to stuff them down with food and then not taking care of ourselves. So for example, Probably when I ask in any group or I, when I'm when I'm doing a keynote, if I ask people, you know, what are your two biggest triggers for eating? <laughs> the two, the two that come up most often are stress and boredom, mm. which is super weird because stress is having too much to do most of the time, and boredom is not having enough to do. So ultimately we've kind of learned that food can fill in all kinds of holes in our lives. So a lot of the work that I do is teaching people tools and skills so that they can tell when their body needs fuel, when they're hungry, and so that they can tell when there is some other emotion or other need or other trigger that's causing them to feel like eating, even if their body doesn't need food. And how about um, eating with kids? You know, I, I think, you know, a childhood, when I grew up, I don't recall ever really having uh, a problem with food because I'd get up and I'd eat, but then I'd be outside and biking and doing all these things um, mm -hmm. that we were allowed to do as kids without supervision. Uh, but nowadays, <laughs> I think supervision is a little tighter, right? You don't want your young child just out riding the bike and you have no idea where they're at. So I, you know, from what I've seen uh, from my side of the world is, you know, a lot of kids turn to video games and TV and different things like that. What, I mean, what are you seeing out there from, or, or have you dealt with, uh, you know, obesity in youth or overeating in youth? Yeah. Let's um, first of all, let me, let me clarify. Cause I, I meant to catch that earlier. Mm. So the work I do is not for weight loss. Mm. Um, when I started, I, I thought it was about weight management, but what I realized is that this constant cultural pressure, this drive for thinness is part of the problem mm. in our culture you know, we're constantly harping on people, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And in actuality, that drives dieting, which drives, uh, you know, gives food power over us and drives more overeating. It's counterproductive. It actually probably contributes to a certain extent to people eating more than they need because of the restriction. And no matter what your body size, you can benefit from more awareness about the decisions that you're making around food. So I want to be really clear to separate weight from eating. Okay. It's gotten so tangled up that it's, it's really, I think, harmed our relationship with food. 
to your point, I was one of those kids too, out all day doing, playing with my friends, all this. Now to a certain, when I got older as a teenager, we were also going to fast food and things like that. (laughs) But as kids, parents have it kind of difficult these days because there's so many messages around about good foods and bad foods and what, what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And I, and in addition, a lot of parents internalize messages from their parents or grandparents about cleaning your plate, or you have to finish all your dinner or you don't get dessert. Remember some of those messages? (laughs) Those actually, those messages backfire in an abundant food environment, because if we teach children that they have to eat everything they're given, and then we send them out into a world where the portions are way too large Now they've lost the internal ability to say, I'm full. I've had enough. I want to go play. Now they eat whatever is in front of them and and it's too much. So I think parents need to be really respectful of their children's ability to know when they've had enough food. Now I'm, I'm a parent too. And I get that children will sometimes not want to eat their dinner in order to have dessert. So you have to manage that in your own household but I think we, we need to be careful not to make dinner the punishment and dessert the reward for eating it all, yeah. right? L- let's lose a little bit of the attachment to good food and bad food. Maybe we just put the uh, a little plate of cookies on the table with the meatloaf, with the vegetables, and then we sit and eat without talking about the food at all, but just talking about our days, connecting with each other and just consuming food in a way that doesn't make food seem like something that you have to be uber controlled over. And then how about social media? How does that impact our relationships mm. with food? So much, right? Like part of it is body image. I mean, I think especially young, young adults these days, kids, um, all of us really are being exposed to a very narrow range of what's supposed to be beautiful and healthy. And so part of our job as parents and, and part of our own self-talk and self-care has to be about saying bodies naturally come in all shapes and sizes. And we don't have to be a certain size to make choices that are healthful for us. We can move our bodies. We can choose fruits and vegetables. We can uh, practice self-care. It's not about changing our body size. It's about living the big, vibrant life that we all crave. So I I think that's part of it. And as a parent or as an individual, I would delete accounts that are giving you very narrow messages about beauty and about what you should look like. And if I'm a parent, I'm going to be very careful about looking at my kids' feeds to say to see if there are actually eating disorders being promoted or disordered eating being promoted. Now, the flip side of that, which is interesting, is that we're also exposed to a lot of food through social media, you know, lots of recipes and lots of food photos, food porn, they call it, right? (laughs) So again, here we are, if we're a person who eats because of external triggers, we might see something in our feed and we might not even consciously remember seeing it. Or we might drive by a bullet, I mean, a a billboard or see a commercial and not even consciously realize that that idea of having burger and fries has now been planted in our brain. 
So becoming mindful, which is the whole process that I teach, becoming aware of how different ideas and thoughts and exposures are affecting us really puts us in charge of the decisions that we make. So in other words, it's not about controlling your eating. It's about being in charge of your decisions. And you you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, that no food is bad food, you know, that kind of that, that philosophy. And, and I, and I've, as I've gone through different, you know, phases of life, I mean, I, I don't, like to, I know I've, I've had the most success with weight loss and my relationship with food when I uh, could recognize food as fuel, but you know, when life events happen uh, right now with COVID work from home, I'm not a big uh, shopper. I'm not a big cooker. So I usually find, and there's like a McDonald's a half a mile down the block with so much fast food out there and the busyness of life how how do we how do we better manage that you know because it's it's so easy just to run out and get something pre-made but yet you know that could i'm sure you know mcdonald's isn't thinking about health first so no unfortunately you know that it's a it's an the these systems are built around money making enterprises mm-hmm. and you know i'm not going to i mindfulness is about inside out it's about my decision so i can't do anything about all the fast food in the world and frankly we're we're getting ready to go on a on a long road trip mm-hmm. we will i'm sure along the way occasionally stop for fast food i think it's nice that we have these options however fast food is not the best way to nourish ourselves day in and day out. And so if we find that our options are becoming limited to fast food because we don't cook or because we're not investing in, you know, foods that are easy to fix at home or could be, you know, could be consumed or lots of, lots of fast food places, McDonald's included have made an effort to make healthier options we're going and then not choosing those healthier options. So that's on us, right? Like, so again, I don't believe in bad foods. I think that all foods can fit in a healthy diet and the American dietetics and nutrition dietetics association has been saying that for years, all foods can fit into a healthy diet. That doesn't mean that our diet is healthy when it's composed of mainly certain kinds of foods. It's really about balance, variety, and moderation. And so I think that's the simplest nutrition information that I could give somebody is, is your diet reflecting balance, variety, and moderation? If you're eating fast food every day, or even a couple times a day, that's not moderation. So it's up to you to figure out how am I going to find a better balance here? Is there, uh, you know, all these, um, companies that will bring food, you know, a a ready to prepare meal, or can I afford to pay somebody else to cook for me? Can I find prepackaged frozen meals that are healthful and that I enjoy? Can I go to certain stores that have these delicious salads already prepared? And all I have to do is open the bag. I mean, there are so many more options we have to get out of the mindset. So do you mind if I coach you for a minute? Go for it. Yeah. 
So you said, I'm not a cooker. Like I don't. And so when we define ourselves that way, when we have, when we think about ourselves in a certain way, we actually create our own reality. We can't see other possibilities because we have it in our mind that what I do when I'm, you know, when I'm stressed and busy is I eat fast food. And as long as you keep telling your brain that your brain is going to keep pulling in because that's what it thinks. If you can change that mindset to, I eat a balanced variety, I eat in balance, variety and moderation, then your brain goes, Hey, third time to McDonald's this week. Is that moderation? (laughs) Let's find another, you know? So again, I'm not knocking McDonald's. I'm, I'm, you know, we're using it as an example, but I, I really think that ultimately it's about looking at our choices from a much broader perspective. And ultimately our, our, our taste buds expand, our enjoyment of food expands. We suddenly realize that, gosh, this thing I've been eating three or four times a week is eh, not that great. You know, I, I enjoyed this even more. Okay. Yeah. And, and McDonald's, if you're watching, definitely not knocking you. I just picked on you because you're right down the road. So right, exactly. <laughs> and, and it is. And that's, again, that's our abundant food environment. It's so easy to do that. And you made that point. I think that's part of the challenge is we often, in, especially in the United States, we choose convenience yeah. over what might be more effective for us long-term. And so I really, I think one of the things that my clients, the people that I work with figure out is, wow, you know, it doesn't take that much time for me to nourish myself. And ultimately I'm feeling so much better that I have more time on my hands because of it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the resources you have out there. I know there's websites and books. And so let's, let's, let's share with the audience what uh, resources you have out there available. Well, I, I mean, I hope that this conversation has sparked somebody's interest or curiosity. There's no way that we could give you everything you need yeah. here, but I would suggest if you're interested or it seems like something that might be worth checking out, go to amihungry.com. That's our website, amihungry.com. And right on that very first page, you're going to find a bunch of free resources. I think one of the best things you could do would be to download chapter one of eat what you love, love what you eat, because in that chapter, you're going to learn about the mindful eating cycle and you will figure out whether you primarily eat instinctively whether you overeat or whether you eat restrictively or some combination of all that. And I think having that awareness is a really good place to start. So that chapter's free. I give it away as much as I can because it's such a great eye opener for people. And of course, there's loads of other resources. There's, there's free resources for health and wellness professionals. There's training, there's videos, there's loads of free articles and blog posts and and uh, ultimately, I think you could spend a couple days on on that website. Never spend a dime, but learn a lot. And is your on the website? Um, I did take a peek at it, but you know, short term memory. I, did it do? If I remember right, do you have links to social media like Facebook or Instagram on there? Yeah, they are. They are. Most of my my um, Instagram is Michelle May MD. So I'd love to connect with you there. Um, our Facebook page is Am I Hungry? So Facebook slash Facebook.com slash Am I Hungry? 
So those are good places to connect with me personally. I'm, I'm there virtually every day and, uh, and looking for other people's posts and, uh, and sharing my own. So. Yeah. And you, and you've, uh, you've, you're, you're, uh, you've been interviewed a lot of times. I've seen a lot of your videos and, and talks out there. So there's a lot of good resources when you've been on other podcasts and shows as well. Um, and I've got a whole slew of links that we can definitely include with the, uh, the in the description of all this. So people don't have to worry about writing it down, but yeah, that would be great. Cause yeah. ultimately the reason I do this work is because I am truly passionate about well, just, just as with you, Brian, you know, I want to take something that was once a big struggle for me and I want to help others. I want to inspire people. I want to help them break free because ultimately through the work that we're doing, it allows people to live their lives more fully and vibrantly. And what a, what greater gift, right. To, to have in the world is to feel like you're making a difference from something that was once a real challenge. Yeah. So in closing here, I want to ask you one last question. And I, and I usually ask the same question of all my guests, but I, I'm going to alter yours slightly. And that is, um, there's somebody that's going to be watching this episode of uh, Conquering Everest, or they're going to be listening to it. And everything you say in is resonating with them. They know they have an unhealthy relationship with food, but for some reason they just don't have the belief in themselves to take that step and and you know change the the mindset what what if if nothing else was taken from this this conversation between us what would be the one thing that you'd want that person or really all of us to walk away with i i think a person who's struggling with food um, really needs to hear that it's not your fault, that you're not flawed and broken, that this is what happens in an environment where we've got a lot of food, but a lot of diet messages that really mess us up. So I get it. I was there. What I want you to know, though, is that it doesn't have to be like this. You may think, oh, I got to try another diet, or she doesn't know what she's talking about. If I eat what I love, I'll lose control. I do know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this for more than 20 years with thousands and thousands of people. And all I can tell you is don't give up on yourself. You, there is so much hope for a healthy relationship with food. And here's the thing. It's not really about the food. It's about learning how to manage your eating so that there's much more space in your life left over for living. If you're spending a lot of time thinking about food or not eating food, then you're stealing that time and energy away from what you really could be doing, which is living. And that's really, that's really what this is all about. All right. Those are great, great words of wisdom uh, to take away. So we will make sure uh, if you're listening, all the links will be available to the websites, to the books, to social media. We'll make sure to make that all available. And uh, I just want to say, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your insights with us. Thank you for the opportunity, Brian. It was really great to talk to you. So there you go. There you have it. My conversation with Michelle May. Make sure you show her some love by going out, checking out her website. She's got some great resources for you. And she's all about helping us all 
eat more mindfully and be healthy. And I know I, for one, need a little help in that department. So make sure you go check it out, uh, support our guests. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier in the show, don't forget to follow this podcast. So that way you're notified anytime a new episode goes live. And please share this, uh, share this podcast on your social media feeds and let your family and friends know about the podcast. So until next time, I appreciate you being here, but I'm going to leave you. You know what I'm going to leave you with, right? Aim high, be courageous, and go do amazing things.